This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This weekend, remembrances and programming including numerous documentaries will mark 20 years since the September 11th attacks, providing time for all of us to reflect as we remember the events or for the next generation that was too young to remember or wasn't born yet. Today we'll talk about 9-11, One Day in America, a limited documentary series developed and executive produced by 72 films with National Geographic and made in partnership with the 9-11 Memorial and Museum in New York. The series chronicles the events through archival footage and interviews with first responders and survivors who describe the unimaginable tragedy and also share stories of heroic acts and humanity. We're joined by director Daniel Bogato. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporters Behind the Screen. Daniel, thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. So for starters, how did you get involved in the project? Um, I think it, it was, I mean, the company 72 Films, they're a new company. They've only been around uh, for a few years. But in that very short period of time, they've been making some really extraordinary films, documentaries, um, many of them about historical, big historical events or, or people, and many of them archive-led and, and put together in a kind of different way, in a very cinematic, kind of very thoughtful and considered way, the, the way it's put together. And I had already worked with um, uh, David Glover, who's the head of Center Films, in another documentary about Donald Trump uh, um, a few years earlier, uh, one for Netflix. And, and we had a very good experience uh, doing so. And then I went to do another series called Killer Ratings for Netflix as well. And uh, after that, I met David and um, he, he watched Killer Ratings. He loved it. He thought it was great um, so storytelling. And he wanted to work again together with me and he told me that he had a number of projects uh, in development about, about to be commissioned and he named them he described all of them but then he got to the one where he says well it's going to be 20 years um, soon well this was like 2017 I think uh, in a few years it's going to be the 20th anniversary and we are planning to do a big archive-led documentary series that will bring together all the most compelling extraordinary uh, both known and unknown stories of 9-11 and weave them together as part of a, this kind of big narrative. And um, I thought that was just a, a brilliant idea. The, the reason being for, for two things. Um, I, the, the previous series I had done called Clear Ratings, half of it was archive-led. And the other half, uh, it, it was like a true crime story. The other half, we, did, we didn't have archive. And so we had to do a lot of... Um, visualizations, we had to get actors and, and film all those, uh, stuff like that. And I always found in the edit that when we were working with archive, 
that was the, the best. You know, it, it, it was just much easier to edit. It was much easier to get the scenes working. And when we were working with visualizations, with actors, that, that was much more difficult. And I think, um, and, and, you know, you spend much more time and in the end, it just, you know, it's just not as satisfactory. And I think part of the reason is that when you're looking at archive, you just know it's real. You know, especially when it's something that's quite shocking, extraordinary, there's no doubt that it's happening because you're watching it happen right in front of you. Um, and even Killer Ratings, which is a very crazy story, people would say, the only, I, I wouldn't believe this story is true, but, but I'm seeing it unfold in front of my very own eyes. And so uh, uh, from that experience, I just thought, if my next project would be something that's just archive, that would be much more interesting. And so just with that, it, it just seemed, you know, uh, that it, it was exactly the kind of project I was looking for. And so, you know, I, 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 I asked for the job of director and I, I, I was trusted with it. Um, I had arrived by a stage in which um, the archive team had already been working uh, for several months, gathering as much video material as they could. And around that time, we were working, um, we were having meetings with the museum to talk about uh, a collaboration on the project. And the collaboration would be in more than one way. So, so first, in terms of archive, they, they have a lot of resources. As I understand it, you actually had 951 hours of archival footage that you went through. That's right. That's right. So, so we had our own archive team and, and they, you know, their job was to track everything and, and bring it all in one place. Often that meant archive that has been shown on other documentaries, but try to get the original tape to see, you know, and there might be like 20 minutes within that tape that have never seen be seen before. In other cases, it was finding people, uh, you know, through, through investigation, investigatory work who, who filmed something and then they put it on a drawer and never showed it to anybody else. And, and they're, they're, it's much more rare, but there are cases like that and, and they're included in the documentary. The museum was also able to help us a lot with um, phone calls because a lot of people will donate to the museum uh, uh, you know, if they have a phone call from a loved one or just, just some part of the historical record and um, FDNY transmissions uh, and things like that. But the, the other very important thing for the muse museum was that it, it was a source of um, inspiration for the whole project. It's one, one of the first places that we went to, uh, myself and Caroline, the, the series producer, was to the museum. And, and you know, we, we were very impressed it is quite an experience, and I recommend people to who do go to New York to to go visit it. And um, it, it was clear that the museum had spent a lot of time, you know, and, and there's a lot of debate about what is the best way to inform people um, and educate people about the reality of what happened on 9/11, but do it in a way that's sensitive. And um, and so when we had big debates in, in, in our own group about how to deal with a sensitive subject, we would often take as a point of reference, well, what, what did they do in the museum? You know, um, so for instance, for the issue of the jumpers, there's a room for that in the museum. And, and we just, we, we tried always to approach all these kind of difficult issues with as much sensitivity as possible. But at the same time, as documentary makers, we understood felt to have a responsibility to to actually show what the truth was, even though it's very difficult and, and very hard to watch, um, not to sanitize it, but yes, to do it in, in a sensitive way. 
Now, there's no narration in the series. You told the story through interviews with 54 people who were there, and you basically chronicle the day through their individual experiences. And uh, as you said, the stories are difficult to hear, but you um, you also did find stories that delivered hope through the way these heroes bravely tried to protect and help each other. Could you talk about that? Yeah, um, absolutely. So th- there was a big challenge um, in doing a series. And I think it's part of the reason why it hasn't, hasn't been done before in terms of a documentary series on 9-11. We wanted to do uh, two things. I mean, first of all, when I joined the project, I started looking at the archive that had been brought together. And I started seeing some of the stories that had already been identified as potential, uh, you know, iconic stories and reading a lot of oral testimony. And it was very quickly apparent that the archive was the kind of thing that you could just play and just watch it. You could just roll on and we would all stand around and we would just watch it quietly, uh, kind of quite mesmerized in, in a horrified way. So the archive spoke for itself. It, it didn't really require much more. And it was very, very strong when you just let it speak for itself. And the oral testimony and the and the contributors, they were also extraordinary. The stories were extraordinary. And, and the fact that they had 20 years to think about them Often when they told their story, that was also an extraordinary thing to experience. And so we just kind of realized that these two things are so powerful that the best thing we can do is ourselves just get out of the way. So not to have narration, not to have visualizations, not to have actors, not to have anything that feels like artifice or or, or, or like something that gets in the way of a direct um, experience between the audience and the archive and, and, and the contributors. And so the idea was, could we create something where we weave together the stories of these people with the archive that's available and make it all feel seamless? And just from beginning to end, you're just watching this and, and, it, and it just takes you on this journey. Certainly the archive was very powerful and the stories were very powerful, so we had that. But the, the challenge came that we wanted it to feel real-time, uh, immersive, present tense, almost as much as possible place you there. And, and the archive does allow you to do that. But at the same time, the key events of September 11th happened from, uh, uh, you know, 102 minutes. There's a very famous video, there's a book, there's a, there's a, a documentary and so forth, because th- that was the critical period of time between the first plane hitting and the second tower collapsing, 102 minutes. And it's what it was within that period of time that quite a lot of the stories all kind of happen simultaneously. And it, it is within that period of time that it really was the most extreme danger that people were in. So if you have six episodes, you know, so it's hours of television, but the main events only happened within 102 minutes, there's a paradox of how do you tell a story which is supposed to feel present tense and going minute by minute, but all these things are happening simultaneously. Normally, you might just use a narrator or just you know all these kind of other uh, 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 tricks in the uh, in the tool bag that documentary makers have, um, but we didn't want to do that. And so the solution was to create a chronology where you would experience, say, episode one begins early in the morning. Uh, the first plane hits, the second hit, plane hits, and the episode finishes shortly after that. And find stories, or find a number of stories that resolve within within that episode. So the, the main story bits, the beginning, middle, and end, they, they resolve themselves within that time frame. And then you take the next episode and you, you don't pick it up at the end. You pick it up a little bit earlier uh, and it overlaps. 
but now you're seeing it from the perspective of, say, paramedics rather than firefighters. And so there's all these overlapping timeframes, and that's how the series inches along. And in each episode, you meet new people and their and their characters you see um, throughout the episode. It sounds complicated, but uh, you know, drama does this a lot, and so. You know, we, we had to sell it to Nat Geo, but I think once the, they started seeing the cuts, you know, the, the narrative just sort of makes sense and people just kind of uh, go along with it. So once we were able to create a, a way of telling the story, an approach, a structure for it, then it was just a matter of identifying which stories. And that, that just involved a lot of research and finding ways in which a story would connect with another story. And so you create a template of how the whole series works, but that's just the first draft because, you know, once you do the interviews and, and once you get editors working with the archive, a lot of new possibilities are uh, are discovered and, and, and a lot of new ideas are brought to the table. But but you needed that first kind of template so 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 you know what questions you need to ask, you know how one thing connects to another. And the good thing was that Nat Geo, something that's critical for a project like this, they gave us time. So it wasn't that I joined the project and next week I'm gonna start the interviews. I had months, you know, to prepare, to do the research, look at the archive, see how it all connects, create a template, and then we started doing the interviews. How did you choose which stories to tell? And maybe could you choose one as an example? Well, uh, part of the idea was um, when this was commissioned, David Glover, he had already commissioned some one-off documentaries of 9-11 many years ago in the, in the 2000s. And the reason he thought an, a, a series would be a great idea is because those films always did very well. They 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 got good audience reviews and, and awards and things like that. And they, they were very powerful. There's something about September 11th stories that they they speak not only about the the horror of the day and, and the heroism of the day. They speak about the human condition, right? They, they speak about what would you do if you were in this extraordinary, an ordinary person suddenly putting this horrific and extraordinary sequence. How would you act? And so, so many of the stories are, are very powerful, but also many of the stories had become iconic, you know, the well-known 9-11 stories such as 993, The Miracle on the Stairwell, uh, and so forth. And so part of the mission of this documentary series was uh, saying, well, there's a whole new generation that grew up after 9-11. They're adults now. They weren't alive or have no memory of the event when it happened. You know, what if in one series there's just one stop where all these kind of most extraordinary and iconic stories are brought together as part of a grand narrative. And so the fact that we wanted to include uh, the, the iconic stories, like that, that we were not going to say, oh, we only want a story unless, if it has never been said before, told before. If it has been told before, we don't want it. That's, that wasn't, we, we wanted to bring all the, the most famous, iconic, well-known, compelling story, as well as unknown ones, as well as new ones, a, a mixture. And so that in itself already just gives you quite a number of, because you knew, for instance, we just knew that The Miracle on Stairwell, which is a, a story that um, we explore in episode five, which is a group of firefighters um, survived the North Tower collapsing on them. They were inside and, and they, they miraculously were inside a void. And so 14 people survived there. And it's an extraordinary story. And so we just immediately knew, yes, that's, probably going to be a whole episode uh the the story of the two port authority officers who who are trapped i mean the details of that story were two former marines and one former uh, paramedic through an extraordinary set of circumstances find them 
and then help rescue them. It, it, it's just such an extraordinary story. Again, we knew, yeah, that's probably going to be the last story of the day. And, and, and there were others uh, like that throughout. And so the, the question was selecting them, seeing the connections, and then finding new ones. And it was done mostly through just reading and reading and reading as much as we could, watch, just consuming as many sources of information as we could. What, one of the, fav- my, 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 the things that I really liked that we could do with this documentary was find kind of uh, connections. And then once you execute that, it, it just really is an extraordinary moment. And so it, it was archive-led. So, so we knew that if we had an extraordinary bit of archive, we would want to use it. And we would want someone who is there to kind of get in, in, inside their mind at what, what they're experiencing. And so one of the bits that we knew we had was that when there was a helicopter rescue mission, by uh, emergency services unit, they filmed that. Uh, uh, Don Lasala, who was the uh, who was in the helicopter, got a camera and filmed an attempt by a helicopter getting very close to the north, north and south tower and looking down, trying to rescue people. So we knew we had video of that, and we knew we would want to speak to somebody there. And so that that was one element. And then when we spoke to the person there, he said, "I could actually." see the people in those windows. I could see their faces and they could see me. And then whilst we're doing research, there's another story of a group of people on the 89th floor. And when I read the oral testimony, one of them says, I could see the helicopter and I waved at them, right? And so you see this moment of connection. And so then you think, okay, so maybe we are at the beginning with the firefighters. They struggle to get up because the elevators are not working. A helicopter is sent. We have footage for all of this. And then that moment when they, they're exchanging that, that look, we move and now we're from the point of view of that person who did see the helicopter and they, they as well were by, by, uh, rescued by, by four other people. And so that, you know, for us was just like emblematic of the approach that, you know, the, in other documentaries, perhaps the helicopter pilot would be just part of one strand, you know, about the cops of 9-11. There's a documentary about that. Um, there's another documentary about the people trapped in the towers and other. But here we could just bring all those perspectives together and connect it. And the moment that it goes from the helicopter pilot to the to Lynn, Lynn Simpson, who's the woman trapped on the 89th floor, and she says there was nothing they could do for us. That's the first thing you hear from her. It's like an extraordinary moment because you think, oh, my God, it's somebody who's there, who's somebody who's trapped. And so the only way to do that is to um, think about it, have the idea and plan it in advance. Right. And, 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 And know that these are the people you're going to be interviewing and that these are the connections that you need to make. And so if you do that. Um, then when it comes together in the edit, it's, it's just very, very powerful. And so the whole series from beginning to end needed this approach, needed this kind of um, planning in, a, in advance and, and thinking ahead how the connections work, whilst at the same time, you know, it's just an initial draft allowing for extraordinary things to happen spontaneously just as we're filming interviews or for an editor to discover an extraordinary way of bringing the archive that we had not thought through. So, so we had to allow the freedom for a lot, a lot still to be discovered, a lot still to be figured out. But that initial structure was fundamental for the whole series. When you did these interviews, as you mentioned earlier, you, now they were telling the story with some perspective almost two decades later. What was the most surprising thing that you learned from doing those interviews? 
Well, I, I, I come from making documentaries. You know, I, I, I've done documentaries of, or, or I started making two minute documentaries. I just gradually moved up. I, I did documentaries that were like 20 minutes long for about five years. And in those documentaries, the, 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 you know, there's much smaller budgets and, and you, you really are in a bit of a rush. You know, when you get somewhere, you get, usually get an hour to interview somebody and you know the things that you need to get. And, 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 and so, but, but here we didn't just want from the contributors, you know, the, the points of the story, A, B, C, this happened, this happened, and then that happened. Um, like for me, what I was trying to achieve was imagine, you know, you go to a dinner party and you sit next to somebody who tells you, I'm a 9-11 survivor. Do you want to hear my story? And you say yes. And they start telling you the story, just this one-to-one. And it just becomes almost like a confessional. It just becomes, you become absolutely engrossed. And it's just an extraordinary thing because they're just speaking directly to you and you can see exactly uh, what they're saying. So that's, that, that's sort of what we wanted to achieve. And so we would tell the contributors, you know, please take the whole day off. Don't, you know, we don't want you to feel, oh, I need to be going to this place. We are not going to also be going, oh, we need to go be going to this place or that place. We are also going to spend the whole day just for this interview. And then, you know, we'd ask them to just in their own words, begin wherever they wanted, tell the story as they saw it. And we would try to do that with as few interruptions as possible. So not asking too many questions. So that would be the first pass. And then on the second pass, we would come back and just kind of nail down some of the details or, or just expand on some of the things that, that was required because we had no narration. And so often the contributors would need to, you know, be explaining exactly where they were or, or something that like something uh, a narrator might normally be saying. And so it would, you know, be hour, it varied according to one, but it'd be hour, hours and hours. Um, but I think something, um, as we were conducting the interviews, we realized that something really special was happening. And I think part of it is that when we uh, gave our pitch to the contributors, we said to them that, you know, the, the whole thing about there's a whole new generation who don't have any memory of it. And we're really interested in creating a very powerful and compelling documentary series that young people can watch and truly gain an understanding of what that day was like. And so many of the contributors told us that they, before we approached them, were fearing that people are going to forget, that the young people they speak to don't know much. It's not being taught at school. And so, you know, the 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 nature, the fact that it was National Geographic, the, the, the fact that it was a landmark series, the fact that it was for the next generation, I think, and the fact that it was clear that we were putting a lot of work into it, asking for the whole day off. And, and when we arrived, we'd speak for several, you know, for a few hours just so they could be relaxed before we started filming. I think they sense that this is just not just any other documentary. This is an important legacy uh, document. And so many contributors who had given interviews to other documentaries years before, you can see it and you can compare it to here and you can see that emotionally, really, they go much farther than they ever have. It really has that feel of confessional. And, 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 and I think the fact that it was 20 years, something that profound affects you so much. And you have this story, maybe they, they tell the story a lot to people, maybe they just think a lot about it. And so by the time that the words come out, they come out along the story with 20 years. And so they come up with, with a level of emotion and eloquence and, and dignity and thoughtfulness 
that is really, really striking that you can see, especially because you can see their faces and they're speaking directly to you. And so, so often, um, David would, you know, I would go out on the shoot and David Glover um, would be uh, back in London and I would call him and he said, how did that interview go? And I went, it was amazing. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Once we edit it, it, it will be amazing. And then the next day, the same phone call, the, the, the answer would be the same. So time and again, I'd be saying, I, I, I just don't know what to say. This was another amazing interview. It was absolutely extraordinary. Everybody, you know, we, we, we have a, a room next to where the filming is. So the filming is just a contributor and the essential stuff. And then other people are next door and they're listening, watching on monitors. And on the first interview, which was Ron Clifford, Everybody was crying. I mean, everybody in, in, in the next room was crying. And so you, you sense this is, and, uh, and Julian Jones, who, who was a producer, a very talented director, he says he'd, he'd never seen an interview like this. He'd never experienced something like this. And this was the first one. So whilst we were making it, we were sensing, we we're getting really special stuff here. If we, if we put it together in a, in a really smart way, it's going to be very powerful. For those who haven't seen the documentary yet, would you just briefly describe what Ron's story was? Uh, so, so Ron Clifford was a businessman, and he woke up on September 11th. He was supposed to have a business meeting uh, downtown New York, and it was moved to the World Trade Center, to the hotel. To the Marriott, at the base, right. To the Marriott, that's right. So when the first plane hit, he was at the hotel, and amongst all the chaos, he saw a woman come towards him, and she was very badly burned. And uh, Ron you know, uh, looked after the woman, comforted her, prayed with her, helped her uh, get into an ambulance. I mean, he, 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 he just was extraordinary in his kindness. And that's the story that we tell. Um, and then later, later, after experiencing all that horror, he returns home and, and he finds out through a phone call that his, um, his sister and his niece were on the plane that had crashed in the South Tower and had crashed whilst he was praying with Jenny Ann Maffel, who was the badly burned woman. So it, it was just uh, 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 an extraordinary story in, in every way. It, it's, it's harrowing. It, it's horrific. Um, but I, I, uh, and it's, uh, you, you see that story in the first episode. Now, sometimes you might think, shouldn't the first episode have something that's easier for people to digest than something so horrible as to what happened to this man? But I felt that, it was appropriate for it to be on the first episode. I, I thought that his story really embodied the horror of 9-11, which was it didn't matter if you did everything right. It didn't matter if you, you know, you stopped for the burning person and you helped them and you were a Samaritan. You know, it spared nobody. There was no, you know, sense or logic of who got killed or who got injured or who didn't. And, and, and that was the scale of the tragedy. And I thought that this story... It's almost like a price of admission. This story really encapsulates the horror. And it's actually later on in the series where the stories move towards, um, you know, heroism and so just other stories with a bit happier ending. And, you know, it was a risk, uh, I suppose, to do it like that. But certainly if you see the response from people on the internet, on Twitter, or on, on IMDb, everybody's saying the same thing, which is, you know, this is difficult to watch. But you still should watch it. Everybody should watch this, even though it's difficult. And, and that was my suspicion. That my suspicion was that people are hungry for 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 really nurturing documentaries. That you know, um, people understand that sometimes it's 
it's okay to go through something that's it's okay to watch something that's difficult you, you you'll be better on the other side it's a worthwhile journey not everything has to be you know pleasant all the time and certainly for september 11th if we're really going to capture the essence of the horror of the day it should be disturbing it should disturb people watching you you, you can't finish watching a 9-11 documentary series that really captures the essence of the day and, and feel happy about it at the end but we did know that by bringing together the stories of um, you know solidarity and empathy and compassion, those put side by side with the horror, they're also extremely powerful. And so people will cry throughout the series and often cry because of the tragedy, but other times just cry because of the humanity and, uh, and the decency. And I think that's, that combination is very, very powerful. So why don't we tell our, our listeners, um, where can people watch the documentary this weekend and how will people be able to view the series afterwards? So it'll be on uh, Nat Geo, and I think uh, they're playing all the episodes on the 10th and the 11th uh, back-to-back. And then um, after that, it'll be, uh, it's already available to stream uh, on Hulu in the U.S. And um, are there any uh, 9-11 museum programs that you'd like to bring attention to? Well, I mean, I think I, I would just recommend uh, to people to just in general uh, visit the 9-11 Memorial Museum. I mean, sadly, because of COVID, I, I haven't been able to attend since, well, since the pandemic uh, started. Uh, originally, we had um, some plans to do some screenings there through Tribeca, and because of that, a lot of it fell through. One, one of the things that the well, the documentary ends on um, is the room where all the victims, the photographs of all the victims of um, uh, of that day are. And, you know, we have Tom Canavan, uh, who is uh, a 9-11 survivor and also a volunteer at the museum. Uh, he works at the museum. I'm kind of speak about that room. And it's interesting because that, that, that room is something, you know, we had these interviews with people and we'd speak to them for hours and we would ask them, you know, have you gone to the 9-11 Memorial Museum? And, uh, what do you think? And um, and that room, a lot of people spoke about it, you know, in very, very powerful ways. Uh, that room where you have all these photographs of people that died that day uh, and the photographs are looking back at you. And just because of that, I knew that it would be, you know, something like a sacred place. Uh, certainly very, very powerful. So I, I, I immediately knew, I think on the first day, that this is where the series should end. You know, this is, this is where we need to land the series. And again, a lot of people on the internet just picking up how very powerful the ending is. And, and, and that's, where, that's ultimately what we should be thinking about, uh, about the, the lives that were lost, but that, that's, that's only right. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> 